I did not know when I went into this interview how many gems, gems, seriously, these are diamonds we're talking about here, not just precious stones. I did not know how many gems would come out of this conversation. We clocked the interview at about 40 minutes, which is more than double what my interviews usually are. And part of the reason for that is because we were having such a good time and the conversation was flowing so naturally. But the other part of this is that Zahir just has such a wealth of experience and wisdom to draw from. And as you can tell if you listen to his interview, he is such a great teacher. So I advise you to take a second now and grab a pen and paper or your electronic device, I'm not judgy, because you will want to take notes. This is my first ever half hour plus episode, but you guys, it is so worth it. So settle in. And let's learn a whole heck of a lot about personal essay writing and about good writing in general. Oh, and you'll want to stick around till the end because I made something for you. So I'll talk about it at the end. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Cutting Chai Stories. I'm your host, Jayati Vora, and I'm curious, did you find the writing tips from the last episode useful? Did you use the you in your stories, whether you were writing for yourself or for your business? Write to me at cuttingchaistories at gmail.com and tell me. I love to hear from my listeners. Okay, so today we have with us a very special guest, Zahir Jan Muhammad. I was Zahir's editor many years ago when he was writing for Al Jazeera America and he wrote some lovely pieces from the state of Gujarat in India back when he was living there. It's wonderful to reconnect with him today and I'm so happy that you all get to listen in on our conversation. So, Zahir is a Zell Writing Fellow at the University of Michigan, where he has received awards in fiction, nonfiction, poetry, playwriting, and he is currently the artist-in-residence at the Arab American National Museum. And if his name sounds familiar to you, it's because he was the one who taught us that personal essay writing workshop that last week's short stories came out of. So welcome to the show, Zahir. Thank you so much, Jayanti. It's so lovely to reconnect with you after so many years. So Zahir, I want to just start by talking about what a personal essay is. Are there rules that we should be following? Are there different kinds? Sure, absolutely. Um, Okay, so I think it's important to separate the difference between an autobiography and a personal essay. Oftentimes my students will think, well, I don't really have any, I don't want to tell my whole life story. A personal essay in my mind is oftentimes just a snapshot. It could be a trip to the post office. It could be um, it could be what happened one summer. Um, it could just be a memorable meal that you had. The name itself is kind of misleading. You know, the per- it is personal, but I think the self is the misleading part. Because to me, I think the personal is a vehicle into a larger conversation. So if you look at let's say James Baldwin, a master of the form, when he wrote about himself, he's really a stand-in for a larger subject about being black in America. Think about Casey Lehman, same thing as well too, or Jesmond Ward. So for me, I think a personal essay, it's using the self to spotlight something larger than yourself. So if it ends at the self, I think the personal essay hasn't really worked. The self is just the starting point for something larger. It's an act of generosity. Wow, that's a lot that you packed into one answer. Um, I'm going to ask you to take it a little bit further. Sure. And if, if somebody is writing a personal essay, what would be your top tips for them? Like, how do you go about, how do you go about, like, you know, shining a light on something bigger? Sure, absolutely. Okay, so I would say the, the most important question is to ask yourself, how is this interesting to somebody else? Now, presumably, it's interesting to yourself because you 
you know, you experience it. Supposing you went to Paris uh, and you didn't like it, for example. Okay, a lot of people go to Paris, either they like it or they don't like it. But to me, a good personal essay, a good tip is why would someone who is living in the middle of, let's say, I don't know, Montana, want to pick up this essay? What is it, this personal essay? How is the self being used to talk about something? So I talk about the, the, the essay, um, the Paris example, because I have a friend named Jennifer Choi who used to write for BuzzFeed, and she wrote an essay about going to Paris and not liking it. But to me, the essay deepens because she talks about being a woman of color, being a Korean American. And so the essay then becomes a stand-in for what if you go to a place that everyone expects you to love, but you actually realize it's not really for you. How do you make sure someone is interested in this? What, what, what are you in conversation with? Casey Lehman, I mentioned him, he has a book called Heavy about being black and fat growing up in America. Um, so it, it intersects with a lot of subjects, race in America, a conversation around obesity, around bodies, around self-love, around masculinity. But if Casey had just said, hey, this is my experience and this was what happened and this is what happened, I don't think it's going to be as interesting. But he's very cognizant that he's speaking about these larger themes. And so that to me is what I think a good personal essay should do. The tricky thing is how do you do it without being pedantic? Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because that was going to be exactly my next question. Is like, how do you how do you weave that in without coming off as, you know, a moral? So I would say, so two very specific tips, and I spoke about this in the class last week. The first is um, my first editor at the San Francisco Bay Guardian used to cut off the last paragraph every time I would write a personal essay, the very last paragraph. And I tend to do that as well, too. So uh, basically, just when you've gotten to that point where you've kind of written your conclusion, he would say the writer will write their own conclusion. Just chop it off. And the second thing is the heavy lifting. And this is what I got from the late, great David Carr, who said in an interview, the heavy lifting of a story should be through the narrative. So supposing, supposing, let's say, you're writing an essay about how COVID sucks and you're like, and the first line is COVID sucks. Well, show me how COVID sucks for you. So for me, COVID sucks because I love going out to the theater. I love going out to dinner, but COVID might suck in a different way for someone else. Maybe you can't see your grandparents. Maybe you haven't been able to play sports, maybe whatever, to, to make sure you anchor your essay in the specific. To me, I think an essay becomes preachy and pedantic when you have these these platitudes. And that, to me, is where the personal aspect of the essay comes in. Mm, that sounds almost like a deepening of um, what writing instructors will tell you, which is show, not tell, right? When you say, like, let the narrative do the heavy lifting. So, like, show how COVID is affecting you in a specific way. Absolutely. Although I think that the, the whole show, not show, don't tell, I think, has been picked apart by a lot of writers like Viet Thanh Nguyen, who, of course, won the Pulitzer for his novel, The Sympathizer, sometimes telling can help. I mean, sometimes it can, I think if you tell it in a manner that is, that is humble and generous, I think sometimes telling, so it really all depends. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, there's a writer by the name of Saeed Jones um, who wrote a very beautiful book, in, uh, sorry, a very beautiful essay in GQ this summer about the aftermath of the George Floyd killing, where he does a lot of telling in that. Tell is okay if it's well-earned. So supposing, let's say, I've started off, let's go back to a COVID sucks essay, and I'm outlining why COVID sucks for me. So I got really into theater during my graduate program. I used to go to plays all the time. So I miss going to plays. But, and, and if I'm outlining in my essay how much I miss the theater and the intimacy of the theater and being in a confined, trapped space, I, I love that feeling of being so close to other people and to the actors. 
But then maybe in the fourth or fifth paragraph in the essay, then I can maybe zoom out and give a little bit of a tell about why the theater matters for me. So I think that a little bit of tell can get away. So I think, because I think sometimes we push so far into the show don't tell that the writing can be coy. So all this is to say, I think all writing requires lots and lots and lots of drafts. There's so many people who write one way or the other, and there's abundant examples of people who show, don't tell, and there's people who tell and don't show. So it really depends on the execution. Yeah, and that really warms my heart, my editor's heart, to go through all these drafts and make your writing better. <laughs> and you helped me with so, much, with so much of my writing, and I think about my early drafts for you. And I think it's just like, you know, I think that's one of the things that when I teach, I try to remind students, like, I've almost rarely submitted a piece that got accepted right away. It goes through multiple, multiple drafts. And to me, what separates a good student from a great student is their willingness to revise. And revision sucks. I mean, revision is so exhausting. But also, I think, to have a scrap folder on your desk. So I have a scrap folder on my laptop. It sits there prominently on the, the, the desktop. And I've got it filled with tons of essays that didn't work. And I think that's a healthy thing. I used to resent it, but now I think any good writer should have a, a, a folder of, of ideas that didn't work. Because to me, writing, and Ta-Nehisi Coach talks about this, is oftentimes about failing. You're trying and trying and trying and trying. Um, but you have to. And I think oftentimes I get students who they write something and right away they're like, oh my God, this is great. I want to get it out in the world. And I think, no, wait a minute, sit on it a little bit. Um, I mean, this is called cutting chai, at least for me, the way I make chai or cutting, you know, I, I love chai that's slowly, slowly brewed. I think it tastes mm. so much better. And I think writing is like that too. I think you do have to brew something slowly and each element has to be added in at the right time oh my god first of all i love that analogy to cutting chai i'm totally going to use it and thank you for your kind words about us working together i'm curious do you do anything with that scrap folder oh absolutely my gosh i mean i'll give you examples so i oftentimes have i'll start off a personal essay one way with an anecdote and i think oh my god this is so funny and then i'll like i'll hold on to it so much but then i realize it's not working in the essay and so i put it in there and then sometimes i i bring it out and it ends up working in something entirely unexpected my scrap folder i feel like i've been very lucky with my scrap folder it's given me a lot of ideas i also write in different forms i write fiction i write nonfiction. Uh, i wrote two plays when i was um, in my mfa program so sometimes the stories will work themselves into a dialogue in one of my plays. Hmm. So since we did that session last week or two weeks ago, it was on very short form personal essays. You know, in fact, you were more strict than I am. You said that we should write stories under 50 words. I usually give my listeners a hundred word limit. What tips do you have specifically for writing short? Like you can't cut off a paragraph at the end when your entire story is a paragraph. Okay, so I would say um, first is what's called in media res, which you start in the middle of the action, but also is to peel away. I mean, it's obvious to say to peel away whatever is necessary, but more specifically to embrace the incompleteness of the story itself. I, I heard this really great quote by the writer. I never know how to pronounce his name. I think it's Borges, Borges. Um, and he's mm -hmm. talked about how like, you know, the goal for, for writing for him is to write something that you don't understand. I think when you're writing something really short, um, and we even did six word memoirs, is mm -hmm. there's so much that we as a reader have to bring to the 50 words or the six word memoir. 
and to be okay with that. So I think what, what I would recommend to students is write a hundred words like you tell your students and then take a pen and chop out the words until you get to 50 and see mm. how much you can do and just peel away and peel away and peel away and peel away and, and allow those mysteries. And to me, I think one of the things that I find hardest to do, but I try to do the most is um, I try to have writing be a little bit mysterious, not coy, but mysterious. And I love the element of mystery, especially right now with this COVID time where I feel like every day my life is kind of the same. There's no real mysteries, you know? I mean, every day mm -hmm. I wake up, I'm in the same place. I don't really have surprises in my life. Uh, and also to think about the words that uh, are unnecessary, um, whether they're adjectives, whether they're words like the or and. So instead of saying, she saw a flower, just put a flower. It was red, a flower, comma, red. And then it says, mm -hmm. a bird came and sat on it to say flower, comma, red, a bird sitting on it things like that that just really make it like very tight so mm -hmm. it's a fun it's a fun exercise i actually love the six word memoirs i've been writing a lot of them because i think they're really funny to write sometimes when i'm on my phone i just type them on my phone and i think this is much better than scrolling through the news <laughs> <laughs> do you have a six word memoir that you could share oh, with us i don't have one on you right now but um there always has to be one word in there that kind of like surprises the, the person you know mm. so you know well if I may, I wrote two six-word memoirs in your class, so I, I can share those. Please. Um, so the first one was um, Pandemic Puppy, Pandemic Car, Vermont Summer. <laughs> I love that. So Okay, so what I loved about the first one is that Pandemic Car, because I just read an article in the New York Times about how car ownership is going up in New York City right now, which is so yep. interesting. So to me, I would I would wonder like, oh, did you know Jackie buy a car this summer and um, like a lot of other people did during COVID and so to me that's a good example of like tight writing where it's like it leaves me with questions and I think that to me is such an act of charity I, I always think about like a movie that leaves me with a lot of questions whereas a movie that like I turn off the laptop and I'm like I haven't thought of it anymore it makes me want more of the story yeah and I love that description of good writing as an act of generosity and a good personal essay as an act of generosity I've never thought about it like that, but I know I'm going to think about it like that going forward. <laughs> I, I mean, if I, if I may say something, having taught like personal essays for some years, I, I know this is, I'm sometimes wrong, but I can almost generally tell when I'm teaching in person, if someone is going to be a good personal essay writer, just by the way they Ooh, sit. Tell me, tell me your secrets. How do you know that? <laughs> I'm not, not always right. I mean, I, and I think I learned this when I was in India and when I used to do human rights work was that, you know, you have to to sit with a certain openness. And I think some people come into class and I used to teach in Portland, Oregon at a writing institute called The Attic. And um, I still teach there, although it's online. You can just see some people come in there and they've already made up their minds. They have this thing and they just kind of want me to like check it off and, and send it off to the world. Hmm. But I think you have to go in there genuinely willing to explore other possibilities for your writing. I think about like suit shopping, like when my brother got married, if he went in there thinking, all right, I already know what I'm going to get. It doesn't give the tailor an opportunity to give my brother new possibilities. Mm -hmm. um, and so to me, writing classes like that too, I always tell my students is this is just about trying on different suits. You don't have to like walk out with the suit that I tell you, but just try on a bunch of styles. If you want to walk out with the same one that you thought you would, that's okay. So to me, I think it's also about how do we sit 
as writers. And that's actually something that I remember when I was in India and I used to go to sitar concerts in Ahmedabad. One time the, the sitar player, he like stopped and we were at someone's house, like a private concert. And he said, can people sit properly, please? You're not sitting properly to listen to the sitar. <laughs> and I thought that was such a beautiful thing, which is like, obviously my ears work the same if I'm lounging or if I'm sitting up straight. But I think what he meant to say is when you sit a certain way, you're able to hear the music differently. And so I think about that with writing. How do we sit in a certain way to allow our writing to come out? And to me, it's about generosity. Me lounging in the sitar concert wasn't an act of generosity to the performer as if I had sat straight and kept my eyes focused. Wow, I love that description. And I feel like, you know, as an editor, when I edited writers um, and, you know, send send my feedback to them, the ones that I loved working with were ones that were accepting of changes, you know, and not, it it didn't matter whether they were very accomplished or just Mm -hmm. starting out or whether they wrote beautiful prose or, you know, uh, very functional prose. But the ones that were a joy to work with were the ones who wanted to be part of a team and Mm -hmm. who wanted to work together to, you know, polish the writing. And um, yeah, so I, I can, that the act of generosity also comes in that way and just being open to, um, to another person's feedback, which leads me to my next question. And um, which is, you know, when you're writing about something personal, how do you edit yourself? I can imagine that, you know, if, if, if you're like, I can imagine as a reporter, okay, um, collecting facts and information and doing interviews there is a certain distance from the work and you're more able to see, okay, perhaps that isn't strictly necessary. But if you're writing about a personal experience or an emotion that's very intimate to you, how do you acquire that editor's eye? There's a lovely writer named Caroline Caroline Paul who wrote a book about being the first woman firefighter in San Francisco, first lesbian firefighter as well. She gave me advice many, many years ago, which was the self you write on the page is different than the self that exists in the world. So what she meant to say is the sometimes when, when we think about writing, you think you have to think of that, well, this is, this is who I am. All this stuff needs to be on the page. But I think if we think about writing as we're, we're creating a certain persona, it has to be a truthful persona. We don't want to make anything up. But to have a little distance that the, 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 the person that's going to be in that personal essay may not be the same person you are at dinner with your partner or hanging out with your friends. So I, I think to me, allowing that sort of distance will help you see your work in a different way. But it can be challenging. It can be challenging if you're writing about trauma, for example, if you're writing about racism, where maybe you feel like you've been, you've been gaslit, you've been ignored. Uh, and that to me is then where I think someone else is helpful to, to point out what's really necessary in the story, because it is important to get that distance. But I think the act of distance has to begin on your own where you're realizing that the person you're writing on the page is a stand-in for yourself. I mean, when I used to host a podcast called Race the Sandwich, I, I was, my wife used to say, you're really not that naive in person. And I would sometimes be naive because I'm trying to help the person I'm interviewing like come out of themselves and reveal more. Um, and you don't want to be too naive where you sort of sound like you're, you're putting on an act. But you kind of have to be like a little bit like, hmm, so why did that happen? because you're just trying to draw out the answer. And I think the same thing is true with a personal essay. Sometimes 
to me, what I love in a personal essay, and there's a writer named Charles D'Ambrosia who does this so beautifully, is to explore doubt. I love doubt in a personal essay. That's probably my favorite emotion, the act of thinking. You don't really know what something is going on. And you may not be as doubtful today in the 2020 self, but if you're writing a personal essay to explore that doubt, just explore other opinions, I think that's really wonderful. Even if you yourself feel that certainty, that doubt is an act of generosity to the reader because you're saying, I'm really trying to figure this out. It could be this, it could be that. I mean, there's an expression in Arabic, I forgot how to say it in Arabic, which is there was and there was not. And it's a way to start a story. You see that in a lot of cultures. There's a good book about the Armenian genocide about that. There was and there was not. Mm. I can see how, you know, that might come across in a natural conversation sort of organically um, because you're trying to get your interview subject to talk more. Um, and so you respond in a certain way. But do you know how, are there any are there any tactics that you could share that we could do that intentionally when we are writing? If you're writing, let's say, like trauma. So I studied with Akhil Sharma during my, my master's program. He was my thesis advisor. And he gave me some advice that I think was really powerful, which is sometimes as soon as you find the humor in a piece, like a sad piece, then you know it's done. And I think about this summer when I was reporting about COVID and I would interview businesses where they had to lay off staff and they would be making jokes as I was interviewing them. Like, and those jokes are a way to deal with a lot of that pain. And I think sometimes I think when people write a personal story, if it's about something sad in their life, let's say their brother passed away, it'll just be like straight, serious, 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 serious throughout. So then when I'm, I'm working with them in class, they say, tell me, were there any funny moments in this whole period? And I try to say it in a way that doesn't sound offensive. And they're like, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, we had this mishap with the hotel. And I'm like, tell me. And what did that, that mishap happen? Like, what did it reveal about yourself and about your family? How do you find moments of, of humor in a tragic story? I, it took me a really long time to realize that. Because to be honest, Jayati, when editors would tell me, hey, Zaheer, you need to have more fun with these pieces. I'd be like, are you making light of this trauma that I experienced in my life? Mm. But, now, but now I see it in a different way, which is, you know, we're, we're never always entirely sad. There's always these moments of, 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 of humor, of levity. And in the moments of, of levity, there's oftentimes the sadness, this darkness. Um, and so to really embrace both sides. And I think oftentimes, especially with the personal essay, it becomes difficult because I think people say, well, I'm writing about an important subject, you know, and I, and I get it. It's like if you're writing about Islamophobia, if you're writing about, you know, transphobia or any of these sorts of like, you know, issues, and someone's like, well, this is an important issue. Okay, fine. But if the, the essay screams it's important throughout, then it's going to be off-putting. How do you make it a little bit, you know, sort of, how do you make it a little bit digestible? How do you make it, how do you make it more human? And there's a quote mm. by Chris Abani, the Nigerian writer, who says, we're never more human than when we are most ugly. I love those stories of where people are open with their flaws. So if someone is writing about their brother passing away, and maybe the writer flipped out when, let's say, the hotel bill came higher than he expected, well, put that out, put that in there, because it shows that you're human. Yes, you're grieving your brother, but maybe you're also dealing with your financial issues. And oh my God, your credit card bill is going to be really high this month. That's a really human emotion that shows the complexity of that experience. Of, and so many people are mourning right now. And they're also dealing with financial struggles. And I got to say, Jayati, all of this is to myself too. I struggle with these issues too, because 
when I write about painful experiences in my life, I oftentimes, when an editor wants to, to tinkle with it, I'm like, oh my God, that really hurt me deeply. So it is challenging. It's hard. And sometimes I think the best essays, you write them, you let them sit on your hard drive for a while, and then you pick, pick them up after a while. So if it's really a tough essay, try to finish it early, give it some time, and then edit it again. That's a great tip. I mean, I know I always feel differently about my writing. If I let it sit, even even if it's just overnight, it makes a difference because you'll see it with fresh eyes in the morning. I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier and I meant to follow up on, which is you said, you know, the best writing has a little bit of mystery to it, but it's mm -hmm. not coy. And I just want you to unpack that a little bit. What do you mean? And what is that difference between coy and mysterious? It's a really tricky thing. I think it's about how information is revealed to the reader. Mystery is if you allow the reader to fill in some clues, like let's say pandemic car, there's a lot of things I just don't get in that, in that, but I like it though. But to me, the hard part with being coy is if somebody, supposing somebody is describing a relationship that dissolved, but they're not really explaining why it didn't work out. So it's like you say, John and I broke up because we were unhappy you know, and you're just like, okay. And I'm like, well, why are you keeping me at a distance? Like, you don't need to explain the whole thing about why you guys broke up, but just give me a little hint, make it a little bit more, more grounded in that. Coy is oftentimes it keeps the writer at a distance. Whereas I think what a, a the reader at a distance, but a mystery will draw the reader in and say, okay, now you finish the sentence. And I think it's a really fine line. And I have to say, that's probably my biggest struggle right now as a writer is I, I sometimes try to be too mysterious and I think I end up being coy as a result. So I have to say, I don't really know. It's really just a question of trial and error. Um, but to me, it's about allowing, understanding that the reader, when they read your work, is on a journey with you. They will write half of it and you write the other half. But if you don't recognize that the reader is writing half of the story, to me, I think you've cut out the possibility of mystery. I think about, let's say, a movie. I think about how do you build mystery? Well, maybe you put an object, you know, the Chekhov's rule in the beginning, and then it comes up in the end. But also there's a mystery, a certain psychological mystery. A person does something unexpected. And I think this is very true with fiction. There's moments of surprise. I mean, you're a reporter. I've done a lot of reporting. What I love about reporting is all these unexpected moments. Um, mm -hmm. And that's my favorite moment when I'm reporting is I, I meet someone and I just, they, they just shock me by, by what they say. And I'm like, really? That's the craziest thing. How did you come <laughs> up with that? And I love those moments of genuine surprise. So if you think about like as a reporter, what are those moments of surprise? When did they come up? And how do you deliver that to a reader? Um, to me, that's like a mystery. Well, why did this person act that way? And I think this is especially true for, for writers of color, where I think oftentimes we're supposed to write characters that are legible. And obviously you want to be understood as a writer, regardless of your background, but sometimes people are mysterious. Um, sometimes, you know, you'll have, let's say, you know, gambling isn't permitted in Islam, but like you have someone who's like a ardent gambler. Well, that's, that's humanity. <laughs> that's just people being human. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I've, I've, I've had editors who were like, hmm, this person is a Muslim, but he's eating pepperoni. And I was like, yeah. But just because they're human, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so, so all those elements of mystery where people constantly contradict each other. But I think the coy part is when information is withheld that the reader needs to know. Now, that's the, always the battle is what information does the reader need to know and not to know. And that will be 
I think it's a lifelong battle that I'll always face. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a that's a great distinction there and a, and, and a very helpful way to think about it. And I, I think I'm going to start thinking about this more consciously when I write. Are there some topics that you think are more suited for personal essays than others? I think to me, like my, if I have like a spirit that I want to channel, it's, do you remember Kamala Harris and the debate with mm-hmm. Pence where she said, uh, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. <laughs> to me, right. I think that's the clip that I have in the back of my head as I'm writing a personal essay. And the reason why is to me, I think a good personal essay will jump into the moment and say, excuse me, I'm speaking. This is, this is actually how the topic is. Meaning, like supposing, like right now, there's a big debate about debt. Should Biden uh, forgive students debt? And so I've been reading some lovely personal essays where people are saying, look, this is how personal debt has, student debt has ruined my life. So sometimes I think these personal essays will cut through the noise and say, all these pundits on CNN, usually they're white men, and they'll tell you exactly like what they think of the subject. But you're jumping in and saying, no, wait a minute. I have student debt, and this is how it's affected my life. This is how it's affected my family. So to me, I think a good personal essay can be, as academics say, like an intervention. It's a way to jump in and say, no, excuse me, I'm speaking. Let me talk about this. This is what it's like to be to be Black. This is what it's like to be trans. This is what it's like to be whatever. And I don't think that's the only essay, but I think those there'll always be a room for that, especially given the fact that people will always speak on your behalf, especially if you come from a marginalized identity. So to me, I think those are some of the most exciting essays. You know, there's a new movie on Hulu I was reading in the New York Times. There's a character in a wheelchair and someone wrote a beautiful piece about how they've never seen a character in a wheelchair played like that. And the person is in a wheelchair who wrote the essay. And I thought, wow, that's beautiful. That's an experience that I don't have. That's an experience that I don't know. And that's an act of generosity to help me understand, like I've been watching these movies for so long. I've been watching movies for since I was a kid. And I didn't realize I never really saw a person in a wheelchair and their disability wasn't part of their character. And the mm. personal essay helped me kind of jump in like Kamala Harris and say, hey, I'm speaking. I've, I've got a voice here. And let me tell you, and as someone who's able-bodied, that, that really helped me understand and it made me realize like, oh, actually, I think I should read more about uh, the disability movement. Yeah. I mean, that just reinforces the power of personal narrative um, and of storytelling. I'll always, I'll always love personal essays. And I think I, if I'm honest, I think my personal essay really comes from my previous life when I worked in politics, where hmm. people were always, I used to work in the U.S. Congress, I used to work at Amnesty International. Where you'd, you'd, you'd have these lawmakers go on the House floor, I worked in the House of Representatives, and they would just give these speeches about this, this community is this, or this person, or this is what and, and then you'd have people, citizens coming to testify and say, no, wait a minute, I was a victim. Let me tell you what my story was. And honestly, Jayati, every time someone would come to testify like that, it just blew me away because it made me realize like, oh, there's so much that we didn't get being at 30,000 feet in Washington, D.C., that people who had these experiences would tell us. And so that to me is when the personal story would just kind of quiet the room. And that's when I really fell in love with the personal essay. It wasn't a personal essay. They were just testifying. Like, how do we think about our writing as acts of testimonies? Yeah, absolutely. And I love, um, I love that point you made about uh, you didn't put it this way, but you know, reclaiming your voice. You know, because there's so many people who will speak for you, and um, writing your own story is such a powerful act of, of asserting yourself. Absolutely. 
Wow, Zahir, you have given us so many nuggets in here. Thank you for this and thank you for your act of generosity. Uh, you know, many of us have been writing personal essays in this sort of short form already. I know I do. And many of my listeners who have reached out to me gravitate to this form already. So it's so great to have some practical advice on how to do this more intentionally. And you mentioned so many names in there and I'm going to get them all, put them in the show notes and also put a way for um, everyone to be able to connect with Zahir. And actually, there was a reading that he was telling me about that's happening on um, Monday, November 30th at 8pm East Coast time. So I know that's not conducive for uh, tuning in live for people around the world. But could you say a few words about that, Zahir, if people can join in? Sure. So as part of my residency at the Arab American National Museum, I've been teaching this course and the museum when it was you know open they used to have these lovely open mics and so i kind of wanted to recreate that magic of the open mic this will be on zoom it's open to anybody regardless of your identity regardless of your writing uh, abilities sign up for the registration i can send you the link after this and jackie i hope you read because i really love particularly your second person piece that you wrote um in that oh, first thank class you. That's the one. I actually shared that on my podcast last week. <laughs> okay, it was it was really lovely, and I thought you did such, it was such a perfect example of how the, the second person can really open up new possibilities for the self. So I hope everybody shows up, if not to read, but just to listen. You can read a personal essay, you can show a photo, you can do a poem, you can do a food story. As you know, Zahir, I always end my episodes with a writing prompt for my listeners, and I was hoping that you had one to share with us. Sure, absolutely. So in the Paris Review, there's a... Um, a lovely essay where a writer by the name of Annalise Chen, who wrote a book called So Many Olympic Excursions, wrote about herself, in mem- like a personal essay, but she's a clam, like the clam that you see in the ocean. Um, <laughs> so I, my personal prompt is read Annalise Chen's essay about being a clam and then write about yourself as an object, as an animal, as a fish, as something. And but, but inhabit that, that, that self. So if you write about yourself as a, a bottle of hand sanitizer, well, then someone comes along and presses your, your button. And you know, <laughs> so really, really, I'm saying that because I'm looking at a hand, hand sanitizer on my desk. So really inhabit that role. If you're going to be the hand sanitizer, you have a cap. You can twist off and eventually you get empty. And you can tip over and you have a label. So really, really inhabit that role and think about what yourself would be like if you were another thing, hand sanitizer, clam, if you were a quarter, if you were a cookie, whatever. Wow. That's, I'm, I'm going to have a lot of fun with that one, Zahir. And I will, put the, <laughs> I will put the link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for your incredible generosity and all the practical tips you gave us. Thank I know so this much. one is- It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jayati. I look forward to listening to it. How was that, you guys? Wasn't it just a wealth of information? I bet you were wishing you listened to me and took out your notebook, huh? Not to worry, I've got you covered. I distilled Zahir's great tips into a PDF that I can share with you. And I went one step further and turned some of the most relevant ones into actionable writing tips that you can use if you're writing for your business. So whether it's emails to your list or website copy, you'll want to get your hands on this. I'll put links to both PDFs and all the good stuff that Zahir was recommending in the show notes, and it's free. One last thing, if you found this episode helpful, if you enjoyed it, would you share it with a friend? 
We're at 15,000 listeners now, you guys, and that's just on Spotify. So let's grow this Cutting Chai Stories community. Share it with a friend on Instagram and tag me. I'm at Cutting Chai Stories and I'm also at Jayati Vora. Tag me and I will repost it. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. You are awesome. And I will see you next Thursday.